1: Welcome to a special coming to you from San Francisco, the cradle of the new American Revolution edition of Mad Money. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money because my job is not just to entertain you, but to educate you and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know why we come out to the West Coast, the heart of Silicon Valley every few months? Because if you're going to cover stocks all stocks. You need to know which industries are being disrupted. That's Wall Street speak for a group that's about to get wrecked by some revolutionary new technology. And you can't understand that without looking the actual disruptors in the eye to see who's a poser and who's the real deal. What makes it so important? Look, on a day where the Dow shed 70 points, s not be dip 0.13 percent, Nasdaq actually inched up 0.18 percent, I can tell you tech matters, Why? Because it's the largest sector in the S&P 500, accounting for roughly 20% of this key benchmark. But the truth is, what happens in tech reverberates through the rest of the market, and really, the rest of the world. Today's trading was full of vicious cross-currents. Oil rallied again. It's now perched at 72 bucks. You know what that looks like? Inflation. So we got to worry that the Fed will take notice tomorrow, get more aggressive about tightening beyond the two more rate hikes that we're expecting this week, one tomorrow and one in the fourth quarter. Maybe they speed up more rate hikes next year. We saw long-term interest rates, as indicated by the 10-year Treasury, hit their highest level since May, 3.1%. The healthcare cohort got rocked with a stunning decline that came out of nowhere. Now, these stocks had been leaders, but they never act well when inflation rears its proverbial ugly head. Don't get me wrong. I think oil prices are a real lousy gauge of inflation. This was all about global supply and demand. It's just that a lot of people in Wall Street completely and utterly disagree with me. All that said, it was disruption that mattered most today. Disruption of the old order by what will soon be the new order. Disruption comes in many forms. Now, a lot of retail investors think that the cannabis stocks are the way to be able to play disruption, and they play East Higher again. And that is about disrupting, let's say, the food industry, the beverage industry, the healthcare industry. Yes, marijuana legalization can do all of that. But nothing is more disruptive than technology itself. We came out here today to witness Dreamforce. That's a festival of 171,000 people. You heard that 171,000 people celebrating all things tech. Especially coding. Mark Benioff, the co-CEO of Salesforce and the and the host of this whole shindig, told us how he's disrupting the way companies deal with their customers. Also wiping the floor with companies that don't share Salesforce's values. Values. Yeah, Benioff smashed a totally revolutionary technology. It's called ethics. He spoke directly about how Facebook had lost the values that let business, uh, businesses keep good people. buying the Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger, the co-founders of Instagram, now a Facebook property and the fastest growing part of it, left the company because they'd had enough. Yeah, the word is they were sick of a rapacious, capitalist sellout culture ruled by Czar, excuse me, CEO Mark Zuckerberg. While the stock industry got hammered on the news, it managed to roll back the bulk of its losses, but that's really mostly because Facebook's part of so many ETFs with three other Fang stocks, Netflix, Alphabet, and Amazon. And the latter surged 40 bucks today on a research report. Talking about how this $1,974 stock could go to 3,000 by 2020 because it's disrupting far more than just retail. Amazon's disrupting advertising, it's disrupting entertainment, and it's disrupting data storage with its fabulous Amazon Web Services division, which is always talked about here as being the single gem of tech worldwide. Or how about SQ? Yeah, that's right, Square. This completely uber-Kramer-fave spiked 10% on a research note from Namura Namur, that heresy of heresies said that we need to add an S to Fang. That's right, Fangs Square is just that disruptive to the payment industry. Companies rapidly taking share with small, medium-sized businesses because their technology is so easy to use. Hey, they just issued some sort of new uh, way to be able to, to take care of you, of the employees' checks. That's another aspect of what they're doing right. We had Sarah Fryer, the chief financial officer, on the show last week to talk about Square's phenomenal 60% revenue growth, and it's moving to the money lending business. I didn't know about its move to take on paychecks or automatic data. Wow. I hope you paid attention to that interview. Of course, disruption also has its downsides. And, and that's the whole point. Today, we got several people calling for a peak in the semiconductor cycle. Now, some of that's because Micron, Symbol MU, reported that Punk Quarter last week, I still like the stock, but not everybody else does. Some of it's because Intel, the one-time king of the semiconductor industry, seems to have taken a step back in its age-old battle with AMD over the PC business. Not clear who's going to win that have to hope that Intel is going to get it together. But you know what? Right now, its manufacturing is coming up short, and we're actually short of processors because of it, which is incredibly shocking to anyone who's followed this company for a long time. I used to be an Intelaholic. I went to the factories when they opened. What the heck's going on there? Meanwhile, Analog Devices, Broadcom, and XP Semi all saw their stocks get waylaid by the same negative theme. Once again, because the whole group is interlinked by the ETFs, no prisoners are taken. But the greatest disruption I saw today was all about Voice recognition. Over the weekend, I spoke to Apple CEO Tim Cook and Salesforce con- uh, CEO Mark Benioff, co-CEO, excuse me, exclusively about their unique partnership, which will integrate Siri into the huge platform of enterprise software apps created by Salesforce's clients. I wasn't sure how it would work until I bumped into Arnie Sorensen, the tech savvy CEO of Marriott, right on the floor of the Dreamforce convention. Yeah, just kind of walking around. I saw him, and he walked me through the exciting implications for regular travelers. To put it simply, You can speak to Siri on your iPhone or any other device and get what you want when you want it. Or even better, Siri knows what you want ahead of time using Einstein Salesforce's artificial intelligence platform. Sorensen sees it as a strategic advantage that disrupts the cumbersome routine that his customers need to go through when booking a room. Drudgery. Now, I don't know how significant this deal will turn out to be. Tim Cook and Mark Benioff said it will ultimately make a lot of money for both companies. I think it would go a long way toward eliminating one of the more idiotic aspects of our current technology. The fact that you still need to type into some kind of keyboard to get things done, QWERTY has ruled our lives long enough, hasn't it? There's no crystal ball to tell you who wins in all these different changes. Will Square crush its rivals? Will Apple and Salesforce be able to exploit voice in a powerful enough way to move the needle in their stocks? Is Amazon only one step ahead of the posse or behind it? But the bottom line is that you need to know what industries are being disrupted if you're going to invest in the stock market. And that's why I come out to Silicon Valley, so I can give you the lowdown. Stay tuned for a lot more detail. All right, let's take some calls. Let's go to David in Kentucky. David.
2: Hello, Jim. Thanks for taking my call and a big Kentucky Wildcat booyah out to you. I like that. I like that attitude. How can I help? Jim, I've been looking at Lowe's home improvement since the beginning of hurricane season back on June 1, and I've seen a steady rise. How do you feel about seasonal investing, and do you think that natural disasters are something we need to have in mind when? investing on it like a seasonal basis.
1: Well, the problem is, I think you always have to anticipate these things. You can't come after, because what do you know that nobody else does? My take is the problem here, and let's be really careful about it. Problem here is is that the stock's up on a spike. I want it to come down before I would do any buying. Let's go to Jeff in Florida. Jeff. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, booyah to you. What's going on? Hey, my
2: question is about Therapeutics MD, THMB. and uh, now that we've got two approved FDA uh, drugs and a uh, third on the cusp, where do you see us going? Are we long-term hope?
1: You know what? I, I have said over and over again that this is a very good spec, but it is not more than a very good spec. I do not have an edge. It does trade like water, as we say on Wall Street. All right, we're in the heart of all things tech, and one thing is clear, disruption a major theme. It's even key. Turn on may have money. Dropbox. It like it hot. That that's if I had my rim shot, I would do that. Last time I talked to the CEO of the company was private. I'm catching up. Then I have my ear to the ground at Salesforce's 16th annual Dreamforce conference and sitting with the man of the hour, the one, the only Mark Benioff. And I'm zooming in on fire on His talks up than 20% this year. Has it cracked the code in the market? Is it ready to break out? I got the exclusive with the CEO, so stick with Kramer.
2: There are two billion people connected. What's up, everybody? I'm Graham Bun. So excited to introduce you to Country Shine, where
1: we're talking all things country music.
3: That's right. And I'm Cameron Irwin, co-host and resident country girl at Tinseltown, here to welcome you to the family. Every Tuesday, we'll update you on the latest in country music, culture, and community.
0: And on Fridays, I'll bring on country musicians and
1: all the biggest names in the game.
3: It's a gathering, and we want you here.
1: You can listen to Country Shine with
2: me, Graham Bunn, for free right here on Spotify the internet we've only reached a tiny fraction and obsessed with unleashing the world's creative energy can this stock unleash returns in your portfolio While we're out here in San Francisco, let's
1: check back in with a high-quality enterprise software company that, for some reason, kind of unfathomable, hasn't been able to keep up with the recent rally in the group. I'm talking about Dropbox, the online storage and digital collaboration platform. Here's a company that's been doing very well with a terrific subscription-based business model, but the stock ran up dramatically going into the latest quarter. And then it sold off hard when the numbers were merely excellent. Not insanely excellent. Since then, Dropbox has drifted lower, and I think this could be a terrific buying opportunity. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Drew House, and He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of a very exciting company we all know, Dropbox at Dreamforce take a look. Drew, we met each other five years ago. You were a smallish private company. Uh, now you're public. You're big. Give us the journey. Yeah, it's been busy.
4: So uh, there, a lot has happened in the last five years. So when we last talked, um, I think I remember watching that we were 100 million registered users. That's now right. we're 500. Now we're a public company.
1: So it's it's been quite a ride. Now, when you talk about that 100 million to 500 million, that is kind of a bottoms-up approach to what is basically a corporate world how will that work versus the IT people telling us you can't use Dropbox you got to use Microsoft
4: well it starts with building a product that people love and then since the beginning we found that our customers would start using Dropbox at home and then they bring it into work and then they realize they can use it with their team and then the team becomes a department becomes the entire company and so that's how we've reached that kind of scale of hundreds of millions of registered users. And that's how we've reached millions
1: of businesses, more and more of whom have become paying customers. Well, so walk people through that particular transition because I think people are always saying, well, hold on, are they converting enough people to pay in order to be able to make enough money for the shareholders? Well, these are people
4: who are using Dropbox at work for work. and so. they They expect to pay for software. They need more visibility and control. They need the business features that we offer. And so we see people, we see ourselves as moving everyone along a journey from free use to maybe buying an individual subscription and then getting the business version of Dropbox.
1: When I hear some people say, well, why did the stock come down? And you know we've been huge supporters. They'll say, you know, Jim, it's too consumer oriented. To me, that's what I heard about the first trillion dollar company, (laughs) Apple. Is there anything wrong with being too consumer
4: oriented? Well, we just see ourselves as solving important problems and we have individuals as customers, like people, humans as customers, and we have businesses as customers. And we focus on solving important problems. And then we found that with that foundation, then you can build a business. And we find that the scale and the virality, we're basically taking the consumer internet playbook and applying it to business software.
1: Now, when I met you, I said, he's a rebel. I don't know (laughs) if a rebel will ever be able to go and meet Wall Street's expectations. You seem to have been able to gravitate okay between both worlds.
4: Yeah, we found that it's been, going public was, uh, it was a great experience. The team was really proud of the progress we've made. The reception has been really good. And, uh, yeah, we've got a couple quarters under our belt as a public company, so life's been good.
1: We've been saying that one of the things that's wrong about Wall Street is they don't want to see companies invest. They need instant results now, 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 but don't invest in the future. Are you able to straddle short-term and long-term? Well, one of of our advantages is we have
4: a really stable business, and we're solving a universal problem. So every team and every company has content and needs to collaborate around it. And more and more, they're choosing Dropbox as the place where they do that and where their teams go to work. So investors appreciate the opportunity and the sustainable business model. And so we've just been scaling it up. I've been using average revenue per user growth as a Mm -hmm. good indication of how well you're doing. Is that a a good metric? Yeah, Our business is fundamentally pretty simple. We have paying subscribers and then then average revenue per user, average revenue per subscriber. Both are important levers for us. On the average revenue front, we've been able to sit, we've been able to attach people to higher and higher tier plans as we create more value. And then we're always interested in growing our subscriber base.
1: We've been talking a lot about partnerships, which ones are shams and which ones are for real. Give me a partnership example that has really helped your company and the other side. Sure, well we we partner with a lot of
4: great companies and Uh, Microsoft and Google are a couple examples of us partnering with the Office Suites and making sure Dropbox can help you tie together all the different ecosystems you're using and we're here on the floor of Dreamforce and so Salesforce has been a great partner to us and and an investor in the IPO and there's a lot more that we'll be doing together.
1: Uh, I like the fact that your company has always been open to what the user wants again like Salesforce talk to me about design for users what it means. Sure well we just
4: look at your moment-to-moment experience at work and then when we think about Well, what we focus on is we we call it designing a more enlightened way of working because we find that technology, while it does a lot of great things, it can be very distracting and overwhelming. And so we think about how do we build smarter tools that create a calmer and more focused working environment? How do we help tie together all the different ecosystems and tools that we're using and make things simpler? And we think that, these are problems that everyone has, and we are able to help people make a lot of
1: progress in making life easier. Well, what do you do? Microsoft has gotten very aggressive. They started an initiative in February, which basically said, all right, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give one drive away. With The Colossus woke up. How do you respond to that? Well, uh,
4: of course, folks, will, of course, our, our, we have competition. Although we've had competition in the beginning. It's not like they woke up yesterday and had competitors. So this has been going on for seven, eight years, really most of our existence. And and people love Dropbox, and they love the fact that they they love the user experience, that it's easy, it just works, anyone can use it. And they love the fact that it's not tied to any one platform, so Dropbox works equally well, whether you're on Windows
1: or Mac or iPhone or Android. How uh, are you seeing gross margins after somebody like Microsoft comes in and is aggressive? Well, we've, if anything, they're going up, so
4: if That's you look at historically. Well, what we realized that, I think a big misunderstanding is that people thought that people are buying storage. Right. When really, right. 80% of our customers, or 80% of our subscribers, more than that, are using Dropbox at work. And they're really buying sharing and collaboration and the ability to work better with other people
1: you know what I think why that is and that's it, it's distracted me too it's yeah. the sheer number of, of pieces of, of of content yeah and I got caught up by that and I said well wait a second maybe that's how to measure but it's not the right way
4: well it, it, we certainly look at the amount of content on the platform and it, that matters to us because our scale is a big advantage okay and it and every important workflow in a business revolves around content in some way and so certainly people are sharing files but what you know, often what they're doing is you think of something like CRM that, it, it, or it, that revolves around content because you're sending collateral to your prospects, you're getting signed contracts back and so that experience around collaborating around content and all the integrations we have around it are really important and they're part of the stickiness of our platform.
1: Alright, five years ago, uh, last line of inquiry, but I think it's really important. We would not have spoken about artificial intelligence. Yeah. I think that that's the next
4: meat problem for you guys. Yeah. Tell us how it works. It's really exciting. So I think For me, the way I think about artificial intelligence is it's gonna allow us to offload a lot more busy work to computers, right? So artificial intelligence will help us assist things or automate things that we have to do manually. And I think of it as having, imagine if you had a smart AI co-pilot next to you, helping you plan your day, helping you surface what's really important. And so I think it's gonna free us up to do a lot more fulfilling work.
1: And I thought you often used term machine learning. Yeah. It's, it, it, they're roughly similar. We, we, we
4: actually call it machine intelligence.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. That mean <laughs> so our viewers will know what you're talking yes. about. So
4: having a smarter computer, smarter tools.
1: Well, I got to tell you, too, congratulations on all of your success over the last five years. And before that, and in the future, that's true, House. co-founder and Thanks. CEO, Dropbox, DBX, and you know how much we like this stock. Stay prepared. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop in to Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in.
2: Watch free. They started a revolution in how businesses do business, shining a light on data you need and helping clients serve customers. From humble beginnings, can the story of Salesforce reach new heights?
1: we come out to San Francisco for Salesforce's annual Dreamforce conference. Dreamforce used to be a major confab for everything related to the cloud. But as Salesforce's customer base has grown by leaps and bounds, this conference has become one of the most important events of the year for all things tech, including disruptions that must be addressed by companies like Salesforce so millions aren't left behind by technological advances. You know why Salesforce has been such an unstoppable juggernaut? Because in recent years, their customer relations management software has gone from something companies want so they can get ahead to something companies need just to avoid getting left behind. That's what makes Salesforce the most regal of our cloud kings. Earlier today, we got a chance to check in with a visionary who created all this, Mark Benioff. He's the chairman, co-founder, and now co-CEO of Salesforce. Take a look. Mark, I come every time to Dreamforce, got 171,000 every time it's more, I have a different vibe this year. It seems like you're going less toward trade show, more toward an institutional view of
3: education helping people. Jim, 171,000 people here in San Francisco, 10 million people joining us online. This is the industry's largest conference. It's a networking event. It's an educational opportunity. It's a family reunion because all these people love being with each other, this is Dreamforce.
1: And at the same time you have a keynote where you're going to introduce a partnership uh, we talked about earlier today. Apple has not necessarily been allied, so to speak, with Salesforce, they've never been enemies, but it seems like that you've come together in a way that the consumer is gonna love.
3: Well, every business knows that their customers have exactly what I have in my pocket, which is an iPhone. Here it is, the new iPhone, it's amazing. And let me tell you something, Jim, that these iPhones are traveling to wherever these businesses are. We have Marriott here today. It's an incredible story. We're gonna profile them in the keynote. You're gonna be able to go into your hotel room. Well, first, of course, your key shows up right here on your phone, which is amazing. Then you go into your hotel room and you can say, on your phone, and then you say, hey, I want a turkey sandwich. Okay, great. Uh, Can you set the room to my favorite temperature and adjust the lights? Oh, and by the way, one more thing. You know, I really would like to make sure there's a car waiting for me tomorrow at 7 o'clock. When you're doing that, of course, you're talking to Siri. Then we bring it into Salesforce Einstein, which is our artificial intelligence platform. We use our database, and it bingo, we're able to enhance that customer experience. We talked about that earlier. I want to know why now. What
1: happened? You, Tim Cook, talking. Did it take many years? Was this one of those things you just said, you know, Tim, it is time.
3: Jim, I have Apple in my veins. I worked at Apple in 1984 as an assembly language programmer. Oh, in your veins, then where's my Apple veins, watch? It's, it's actually gonna be what's that? Apple Watch. I, well, I put on my father's watch today. Okay. I have app, I have Apple in my veins, trust me. And it bleeds Apple rainbow colors. And I'll tell you right now that it's so important to us to have this amazing new relationship with Apple and Tim Cook the ability to bring together Apple developers, Apple customers, our developers, our customers, and to show incredible new ways that you can connect with your customers. Okay, but
1: I gotta know, is this a partnership that I want to, if I am a, one of the stakeholders, a shareholder, I am going to say, you know what, that's gonna be additive, or is this a for show partnership where you're just saying, hey, listen, you know what? Nice to, nice to see you, Tim.
3: Well, Tim, I don't think that anybody can walk away from Apple products. It's the number one mobile device in the world, and the innovation that they're laying out is incredible. And, of course, we have many amazing strategic alliances and strategic partners, but I am thrilled to welcome Apple to our family, and all of these Dreamforce attendees are thrilled to learn how to connect these amazing Apple mobile devices right onto our customer success platform.
1: Now, I think I I would be remiss not to say that I felt the most important partnership until today was Amazon Web Services, because you have really owned that relationship.
3: I love Amazon also. I love all of our children, Jim. (laughs) And we're gonna get to Google too, I'm sure. But no, today we have an amazing new relationship with Amazon. We're taking our relationship with Amazon Web Services to a new level. That whole community of developers is here. Those are the AWS developers, they call them. They're doing incredible things on the cloud. We're cloud brothers, Amazon and Salesforce. And we're gonna just show how you can use AWS in a new way. And by the way, the number one development environment, Heroku, on Amazon is Salesforce. So we're excited to have a great relationship with Amazon.
1: I've always known you as someone who wants to do good, that you think that corporations, their number one job is to do good, which then comes around. But can you save an institution like time which you and I know is something that's vital because it still wants to talk about things that a lot of people don't know about or actually may not want to know about, but have to know about. You buy it, you and Lynn, your wife, I don't say you, that's wrong. You and Lynn buy it. Do you have the time to spend anything, any, I mean, you have a minute for time?
3: I so strongly believe, and I should say Lynn and I so strongly believe, that business is the greatest platform for change. I work on that every day with Salesforce already. You know, we're building Salesforce that started with our 111 oh, model on, 20 years million ago. Oh,
1: for time. I'm not going to let you go. I need to know whether that company's profitable.
3: What, it is massively profitable. How's that possible? It's a media company. It's a very well-run company. We bought a very well-run, profitable, Do amazing historic and iconic brand. They run on Salesforce. They run on Salesforce? They run on Salesforce. Okay. But that's not why we bought them. All right. We bought them because that's an important institution that is having a positive global impact on the world and is deeply aligned with our family's values. And we're delighted to be the new stewards of Time Magazine. And I hope, Jim, you and everyone else will help us make it a huge success. Because I, right. I do believe for Time, success is all of our success. Well, I wrote for them for a long time, so I agree. Now, when
1: I look around, I do not see the typical crowd that I expect from a consumer electronics trade show or something like that. <laughs> Tell, speak to me about who's here.
3: I so strongly believe not only that business is the greatest platform for change, but that everyone has to be included in this fourth industrial revolution. Look who's on this floor. This is every gender. This is every religion, every race, every sexual, we're bringing everyone in. This concept that we have of inclusive capitalism is made possible by Trailhead. You've gone to trailhead.com. Yes, I have. You can get trained on Trailhead, but did you know? that one out of every four people who go to Trailhead and get these skills that everyone here is getting already have upgraded their jobs with higher salaries, new companies, new titles. The Salesforce economy is booming. $1 trillion by 2022, according to IDC. That's amazing. That is why these people are here. That's why this show sold out day one that we announced it a few months ago because this is where you're gonna be if you're gonna upgrade your career. Well, a lot of people like it, uh, the
1: intersection of what you're doing, because it kind of, uh, let's say, melds policy, it melds government, it melds diplomacy, your European numbers are extraordinary. I wanna try to understand whether the fourth industrial revolution includes business taking the parts that we used to expect government to do in terms of the public welfare.
3: When I went to business school, they said, focus on your shareholder, Mark, the business of business is business. That no longer applies. We have to erase that from our history books. The business of business is improving the state of the world. We all know that. And that means you can't just manage for your shareholders, you're managing for all your stakeholders. And, Jim, you've seen our stock chart since we've been public in 2004 to today. But how did we do that? By managing all of our stakeholders, our customers, our employees, our partners. And you know, Jim, we gave $15 million more to our public schools today because if our kids are not educated, how do they become part of this amazing economy? We're managing for all of our stakeholders. We're taking all of them into our heart at Salesforce and saying we're gonna make everyone successful. This is really important to me. You have the right to say it because your stock
1: is great, okay? That does matter for the mad money. But it's also the right thing to do okay so when i look at profits all right uh you you care tremendously about profits i say to myself he has got to keep everybody who's great here in order to keep it together but you lose people but you don't lose people to other companies like unfortunately say a facebook you lose lose people to new companies a hundred ceos currently started here
3: jim every CEO has to ask one very important question right now. What is most important to me? Every company has to ask what is more important to me? What is your highest value? What is truly important to you as a company? We know what ours is. Trust. Nothing is more important than the trust we have with our customers, our employees, our key stakeholders like you. Trust is our highest would you, would you
1: ever be willing to partner with a company that didn't have that trust, or do you like partners like Apple, which wouldn't, doesn't want to give out your name when you, when you buy an app?
3: Jim, if your employees don't trust you, if they don't like your values, they're going to walk out. You see that in our industry now. We have high tech companies where their top executives, their top executives are walking out because it's a vote of no confidence on their values. When will CEOs wake up and realize we're in a new world, We're in a world you have to manage for all your stakeholders and one of your key stakeholders is your employees. This is the new world that we're in today.
1: You introduced me to a Mr. Sistra, brilliant man, started Instagram. He just left the company. People don't leave companies like that unless they feel disillusioned.
3: Facebook is disillusioning people. Well, I think that Facebook is probably an example of many companies in our industry that are reevaluating. Who are they? WHAT PRODUCTS ARE THEY BUILDING? ARE THEY DOING THINGS ETHICALLY? IS THERE A HUMANE USE ASSOCIATED WITH THE TECHNOLOGY? ARE THEY ABLE TO TALK ABOUT THE LEVEL OF PRIVACY? YOU KNOW, WE HAVE GIVEN A HUGE AMOUNT OF OUR POWER TO SO MANY TECHNOLOGY COMPANIES. THAT'S WHY THERE IS A DISCUSSION NOW IN WASHINGTON, D.C. ABOUT REGULATION. SHOULD THEY BE REGULATED? not just Facebook, but every company. Now, you know, at the World Economic Forum, I called for the regulation of Facebook. Yes, you did, because I that's said, right, yes, you did. Because I said that they lost my trust right. because of how they've handled their privacy scandal. They are in a crisis of trust. Facebook is still in that crisis of trust, and so you see those actions by customers, consumers, and executives. Now, they can change, every company can change. They're not the only company that's going through a crisis of trust but our industry needs to wake up and realize that there is a tech lash happening and we all need to step up to a new level of ethical and humane use. That's why at Salesforce, we just created a new office of ethical and humane use that works directly for me. And we're reevaluating every single part of our business so that we can say with confidence and acuity, not just to our employees, not just to our customers, but all of our stakeholders, we are committed to the ethical and humane use of our technology and our products and all of our resources at Salesforce.
1: Thank you so much, Mark Benioff. He's the chairman, founder, and now co-CEO of Salesforce. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks, Jim. Great to see you. We all love the relentless flood of innovation coming out of Silicon Valley. But to paraphrase the late, great Biggie Spoles, Mo Technology, More problems. In a world where everything seems to be tied into a network, where a company after company keeps moving its software onto the cloud, we're increasingly vulnerable to hackers. That's why the cybersecurity names have been such incredible long-term performers. Not all of them. Some of these stocks have lagged behind their peers longer term, like FireEye, a major cybersecurity player. They protect their clients against digital threats, and they've got the best forensics division in the industry. Meaning when you get hacked, you call these guys into to, to do some investigation. In fact, Google just hired them to defend against state-sponsored cyber attacks. Yeah, FireEye stock has been pretty sleepy. While it's gained 21% year-to-date, nothing wrong with that. Darn things up barely 50 cents versus where it was trading a year ago. I think it's being underestimated, even as the company's Fire uh, business has been shifting to the kind of subscription model that we like so much. i got to wonder, I, if it's working for so many other software companies, and the latest quarter was so strong, that you have to think that sooner or later, this stock is going to break out. And not just the 4% increase that it had to Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Kevin Mandy, the CEO of FireEye. Learn more about where his company's headed. Kevin, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Jim. Okay, you changed your model. Uh, You're obviously getting a lot of uh, new clients. We mentioned Google. But one thing people don't understand is it's no longer just after you've been hacked. You guys have a whole suite. And I think it's selling pretty well.
0: Yeah, see, we have multiple ways to make money. And sometimes maybe that confuses people. We believe it's critically important to respond to every breach that matters. That's how you see front row how all the technologies and common safeguards people use are being evaded, so we can adjust our products and fine-tune them and instrument them to defend people against those threats.
1: Well, Look, I don't know that many companies that are more technologically uh, savvy than Google. They can't figure it out themselves. I guess nobody can. Well,
0: I think people can. I mean, it's a community effort. Here's the reality. Everybody doesn't want to go at this alone. If each company secures itself by itself, it's actually more vulnerable than working with other
1: companies to secure itself. Well, you guys have been talking about threats from North Korea, Mm -hmm. Uh, threats from Iran, obviously, Mm -hmm. a president talking very tough about Iran, threats from Russia. Now, look, I get North Korea has never been really a member of the Council Mm of Nations, so to speak. Iran's a problem. Russia, we had a cold war against Russia. This is a hot cyber war, isn't it? Yeah,
0: I think, you know, it's fascinating for me to observe. I've been responding to breaches for over two decades. It took me too long, but here's the dead reality every cyber attacks related to geopolitical conditions. I mean, you're not, if you're in the United States and you hack a company, you're gonna get caught. So you have to live in a safe harbor. You almost have to be condoned, you have to be supported. And many of the attacks we respond to, there are in fact people in uniform conducting the attacks against our in companies in uniform Absolutely. not rogue no question about it not rogue unless there's rogue hackers in North Korea which uh, you know tends to stretch credulity
1: well i know you've got your conference coming up but right, i always yeah. think it's interesting when you have a Madeleine all as a keynote, we do. Sec- yeah. former secretary of state yes. which tells me that we yeah. have to be worried about states and state sponsored cyber terrorism yeah, not just hackers who are having yeah. some mm-hmm. uh, mischief
0: yeah, I think the hackers that are having mischief will automate a lot, or they'll pick single targets, and that's still very frustrating. But we responded to over 600 breaches last year. I would say over 80% of them were state-sponsored or state-condoned, meaning the heads of the state or the heads of certain agencies of that state knew the attacks were ongoing, but there's no risk or repercussions to the attackers.
1: Are they trying to weaken trust in our own systems?
0: You know, there's probably some nations that are doing that, yes.
1: Wow. I'll tell you, uh, Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO okay. of JPMorgan Chase, just thinks that the world's not ready for uh, the real cyber threats that are coming. Well, I think when
0: you look at the cyber threats, there's no longer a segregation between government networks versus enterprise networks versus just the individual. And one of the things that's complicated in cyberspace is that fact that we're all blending together into this big mesh network. And it could be the strategy of the adversaries to go after the softer targets, get the butterfly effect from doing that. Where if butterfly you, effect. Yeah, absolutely. If you hack every elementary school in a certain state, That means maybe employees aren't going to work that day, and then it ripples out from there. Even from the offensive side of the house, it's probably hard to predict. Even when you know whoever wrote Wanna Cry and released it didn't know if it infect 10,000 machines or millions. So you don't always know the butterfly effect of some of these attacks.
1: Now, I I think that one of the things that is I've tried to figure out your stock because Mm -hmm. I think it's a a good one, but you do talk about uh, the idea. That there are some competition here. For instance, Proofpoint email. Mm-hmm. It looks like email's become, uh, which I think Proofpoint right. had the run of the joint. Mm-hmm. It's become uh, not as easy to make a lot of money. Right. Well, I think every company starts
0: niche, and then you have to broaden. Right. right? And one of the things we we were always a layer two in email. We detected what other email gateways missed, mm-hmm. and we have that nice feedback loop: respond to breach, learn from it, make sure that doesn't happen again. And uh, so we're building into that what I call layer one. So we're not an overlay to a pre-existing email solution.
1: Okay, uh, you talked also. Uh, your company's been talking about how the way things have been evolving, evolving mm-hmm. is used to throw a lot of money at cyber. Now uh, companies are capped on security spending, and they need to gain more efficiencies. Does that right. play into into FireEye's right. hand? Yeah, it does.
0: I, I think everybody's learned from CISOs. They've all bought so many products. When you look at 1A Enterprise, sometimes it's common for them to say, we've bought 60 technologies to help secure our network. Can we get it down to five or six? And I think you can. If you can be interoperable and you can integrate things, you, you can get down to you know, just a few but products. But is fear,
1: fear of breach has still
0: motivating right. spending, right? I, definitely. There, there's no question. The risk or repercussions to the attackers is there isn't one. And then you go to the risk of repercussions for the victim companies, and and it's getting bigger every day.
1: Okay, last time we spoke, you talked about the hacking of Bitcoin. It Mm -hmm. seems like Bitcoin has fallen off the cliff. One of the things I wanted to wonder Mm -hmm. about is, do people realize suddenly maybe this isn't the uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? It can be hacked. Maybe this is not such a great currency? Well, you know,
0: I don't know. I just look at it from my frame of reference. Every time we deal with cryptocurrencies, it's the anonymity of it that's being leveraged by people misaligned uh, with the laws of the nation.
1: Now, I just want to talk about one last thing about Iran. I mean, Mm -hmm. we are really going full bore against Iran. Mm -hmm. They have, what, great? Do they have people in uniform trying to figure
0: out where? They are good. They are good. good. Yeah. We first responded to Iran in 2007, 2008, and they and eight, and they've just looked like they had just gotten out of the classroom. They weren't very good in offensive cyber. But they've had 10 years now, a full decade, both in response to the Stuxnet attack that happened in Iran, which was a cyber attack that took out uh, some of their nuclear capability for a few years. You know for a fact they had an agenda to get good at asymmetric warfare. Cyber attacks are, in fact, asymmetric. They're not going to meet us on a battlefield with a bunch of tanks, and we're going to line them up. They're going to meet us in cyberspace. And from the attacks we're observing, I kind of dubbed
1: 2017 the year of Iran. Not that reassuring, but I know you're out there trying to catch it. We are. Okay. Well, that's Kevin Bandy, the CEO of FireEye. Always feel a little uncertain, but I guess that's why FireEye is going to have a lot of clients. Ben Money's back after the break. Thank you. It is time, hey. and it's time for a special West Coast season, the lightning round on Man Money. That's why I take calls close right before you say the name tell you, bye-bye-bye. So, so, just be clear. I don't We don't know what you And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That is time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Chris in Indiana. Chris. Indy, booyah, Jim. Booyah. And deep oil. Is Goldman is Goldman Sachs a, a
2: goodbye or should I tell it goodbye?
1: I need you to Oh, that's good, I like that, but I want you to take a longer term view. You're 4-0 in Notre Dame. It's a long season. I think it's a long season for Goldman Sachs, but I like the stock very much for stones at Mike in Texas. Mike. Mike my bike. Hey. Is this You're up. Yes. Jim, I was wanting to know what you thought about Service Corporation International's long term prospects going forward. Uh, death and taxes, right? Death is this company is finally back on track. It had been off track for a long time. If those who waited can stay in it. It's up nicely this year. I think it can continue to go higher. Martin in New York, Martin.
2: Thank hey, you. Martin, you're up.
1: Yes, what's up, my friend?
2: Jim, in the casino industry in Las Vegas, Golden Entertainment, G D E N. They did some This recent stock acquisitions happens to be an expensive
1: stock, uh, but it's a local. Th- Remember, we have uh, walked away from Wynn. We're not interested in Las Vegas Sands. Even MGM we're in trouble with. But we have to look at this one and start saying, you know what? We got to do more work because it is really down and it's all domestic. Michael in Delaware, Michael!
2: Hey, Jim, I've got my six-year-old daughter who has always wanted to be on your show,
4: Amelia, and I'm going to let her, uh, with no further ado, ask the question, okay? Hi. Fire away. Um,
2: I just wanted to say um, about, like, ask about Tesla, and since we have them all three, that's what I wanted to ask about, and thank you.
1: Well, there you go. You're quite welcome. And that kid's got real horse sense. I think the Tesla's just okay. It's a battle between the long and the shorts. I don't like battlegrounds. Therefore, I'm going to have to avoid it. I don't mean to dodge it, Michael or his daughter, but that's how I play it. Peter in Arizona. Peter!
2: Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Peter calling from Tempe, Arizona, home of the Arizona State Sun Devils. Huge fan of your show and the style in which you deliver your knowledge. Your insight is very appreciated. My question today is about AVAV. You
4: spoke to the CEO a few weeks ago on your show. Since, the, since then, the stock has drawn back about eight and a half nine percent percent Are you bullish or bearish on the position, and would you hold long?
1: I think that Mitch Nawabi acquitted himself quite well, and I think this is the opportunity to buy. I think the stock went up, frankly, because people were very excited about what happened on Mad Money. I would like to be able to stay stay in it and buy more. We're not done. We're going to Peter and our. Oh, no, we're going to Amy in Nevada. Amy!
2: Greetings, Jim, from hot Las Vegas, Nevada. How are you? Uh,
1: I am doing well. How about
2: you? I'm doing great. I'm a first-time
1: caller. Wanted to thank you for all your knowledge and insights. Love your show. Thank and you. Thank you. I'm calling today. I'm calling regarding Ameren Corporation. I bought 100 chairs yesterday, and it was under $11, already climbing over 13 today. What do you think? Amy, that tr- that boat has left the dock. It's too late. I would say kaching kaching if I owned it lower. Otherwise, I say I think you're just gonna like just bought the top. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning
2: round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Markets love to fake people out. Sooner or later, every investor makes a fool of himself. What matters is how you react to it. Not that long ago, the yield in the 10-year Treasury crossed above 3%. And everyone I know assumed that interest rates were finally headed higher, which meant it was time to buy the banks. The analysts fell all over themselves, predicting that 3.5% would be the next stop. Then practically overnight, rates plummeted. And anyone who owned the bank stocks got annihilated. That's why when the 10-year breached 3% again a little over a week ago, very few professionals wanted to go out on a limb and recommend the bank stocks. Once burned, twice shy. So what happens? The bank stocks rocket higher because banks can make a fortune in a situation like this, one where both short-term rates set by the Fed and long-term rates set by the bond market are rising. As Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JPMorgan Chase, told us yesterday in Philadelphia, this represents a fantastic opportunity for a banker. Too bad more analysts didn't see this obvious move coming. I get it. After the way long-term Treasury yields broke down in May, they were thinking, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Ironically, they actually did get fooled twice, first by being too positive, then by being too negative. I think the bank stocks keep climbing, led by none other than the stock of J.P. Morgan. Same thing happened with oil. The price of crude's roaring here as West Texas Intermediate broke out above 70 bucks a barrel last week. But we saw this same move over the summer. Oil busted through 70, and we figured it was headed for 100 bucks. A lot of people, including yours truly, got all bowled up, and it turned out we were way too positive. From mid-July to mid-August, oil got slammed. I look like a dope. But at least I told ActionAlertsPlus.com club members who follow my charitable trust that they should double down the oils into weakness. Fool me once, then stay fooled. And you know what happens? Maybe you finally get it right. No, actually, not exactly. Oil rebounded because the circumstances changed, for heaven's sake. First, President Trump went hard-line against Iran, and their oil exports have plummeted, while Venezuelan exports continue to dwindle, and demand is increasing well north of what it's been for ages and ages. Final piece of the puzzle? Schlumberger, the largest oil service company on Earth, keeps bemoaning the fact that exploration spending just isn't picking up the way you'd expect it to, given the recent run of crude. The lack of new exploration ultimately translates into less new production, which pushes prices higher again. That said, Somerset's been calling a bottom for many quarters, and its stock has been one of the worst performers in the sector, as my charitable trust knows all too well. Talk about the wins, how about the losers? Still, I think that the oil rally is for real because of those supply and demand problems. Plus, Saudi Arabia says their Aramco IPO is back on track. They need higher prices if they want that deal to go well. doesn't matter that President Trump keeps urging OPEC to pump more oil. OPEC's not going to be doing us any big favors. To me, that means the oil stocks are worth owning here. They're still much lower than where they were when last time oil was at these elevated levels. I think BP, the old British Petroleum, makes the most sense because you get that terrific 5% yield. If you're going to be wrong, you get protected. If you want to be more aggressive, go with an independent producer like Diamondback Energy. Yes, that's fang for all you home gamers, whatever you do. Don't let an overdeveloped sense of caution trick you into missing these straightforward moves, especially since there are real reasons to believe that the rallies in the banks and the oils will be more sustainable this time around. Stick with Kramer. Wow, what an inspiring day. That's a wrap for Mad Money from San Francisco, but just for today, because we are far from being done. Tomorrow we have Aaron Levy from Box. Sanjay Poonen from VMware. See that stock today? Oscar Marinos from United Airlines. Like I said, there's always more workers, so if I promise i find it just for you, Radio Man Money, I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
2: 1980s New York. Five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosque, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.